Hi, this is Steve. There certainly could be a lot of arguments about who the greatest actor of all time is, but my guess is most people would have to put Daniel Day-Lewis on their short list. Strangely enough, he is yet to make an appearance on The Cinephiles. Well, we are remedying that this week with what is arguably his most mainstream film. Directed by Michael Mann and set in the pre-revolutionary wilderness of the American Northeast, The Last of the Mohicans is not only a truly romantic adventure, but also beautifully filmed, gorgeously scored, and meticulously researched. Now, this is one of John's absolute favorites, and while it isn't actually one of mine, there's still a ton to talk about in terms of filmmaking, performance, and the profound tragedy that is the destruction of Native American culture. Of course, the best preparation for our Friday discussion is for you to take a trip to cinephiles.net where you can stream The Last of the Mohicans and see the film for yourself. Then come back on Friday for a true adventure starring Daniel Day-Lewis, The Last of the Mohicans, on The Cinephiles. Stay alive no matter what occurs. I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far. I will find you. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris, and I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello everyone, my name is John Roca, I'm a voiceover artist, uh, writer, producer, and host over at Collider, co-host of The Geek Buddies, co-host of The Top Ten. And excited to talk about this movie because this is bar none one of my favorite movies ever and one of my favorite scores of any film ever. The score is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It is not one of my favorite movies ever. Well, okay. It is. And, and you know what? I hadn't watched it in a really long time. And yeah. I got to say, it's still not one of my favorite movies. Wow. Ever. That's incredible. So, okay. you know, we'll have some. We'll have some stuff to discuss. Sounds good. Like a lot of films, I like I can completely admire what I admire about this movie. Mm-hmm. But there's some other stuff where like it doesn't hook me that much. Gotcha. Um, so um, the movie we should say that we're talking about is The Last of the Mohicans. And not only is this one of John's favorite films from the 90s, but it is also a pick of our Patreons. Mm. So John R. Merlino and Tim Begg, we would love to hear what you have to say about Last of the Mohicans. Hi, John and Steve. Do you remember how you felt the first time John Williams took you to a galaxy far, far away? Well, I'd have to wait until college to again have a similar awakening when Trevor Jones and Randy Edelman produced the sweeping and emotional score to The Last of the Mohicans, which transported me to one of my favorite periods of history, rarely featured in modern film. With the cast seemingly pulled right from the past in a DeLorean, it continued to establish the career of perhaps the greatest actor of our time, Daniel Day-Lewis. This is John Merlino Jr. from Staten Island, New York, and I can't wait to hear you guys talk about The Last of the Mohicans. Wow. There it is. Yeah. Strong words. Shocking. Yeah. I honestly didn't think they were going to go to that level of intensity, but man. We bring it out in them. I, I guess so. That. Do you remember how you first came to the movie? Oh, hell yeah. I was in a movie theater. I went and saw this thing, I think with I think either by myself or with a friend. Um, it was not a big group of people, and I just was absolutely floored by the movie. It kind of, it's a very, it, in some ways, a very romantic movie. It is, and, 100%. Right? And also, uh, one of these films that confronted this idea of the white man and Native American uh, situations through a novel that bored me to tears 
sure. in high school, James Fenimore Cooper's original novel, which it bears only a slight resemblance to this book I, I in read, so many ways. I read them all. They're not that good. No, they're not. I mean, what's interesting, they, they come out of a certain time. They're very important in terms of right. launching this kind of adventure novels. They're sort yeah. of, you know, America's answer to Sir Walter Scott or something like right, that. Right, right, right. But they are thin, extremely inaccurate. Yes. One thing that was interesting, I didn't know, by the way, two things. So James Fenimore Cooper, one is, I did not know that his father founded Cooperstown. Oh, wow. Well, that is where seems logical Cooperstown now. comes from. <laughs> the other thing I didn't know was that he uh, uh, was in the Merchant Marine and then went to the uh, American Navy. His midshipman's officer slip was signed by President Jefferson. Oh, wow. On his, And then he went off and he was on the Wasp, which is a very famous uh-huh. uh, frigate in uh, the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. And it shows up. And you know, my, heard me talk about my favorite books, the Master and Commander books. Right. They fight against the Wasp and are there when the Wasp sinks a British frigate that's like oh. way out man's. I mean, James Fenor Cooper was there, which I found really, really interesting. interesting. And he, he, he started writing because his wife said, was reading a book and said, man, I bet you could write a better novel than this. <laughs> And so that's how his career started. Maybe one of only three recorded cases where the wife <laughs> says, you know what? You could write a better book than this. Well, it, it, I don't know if he actually did because he's not the best writer. True. But the Leather Stocking Tales were uh, huge, huge hits at the time. Um, and I didn't answer the question, my own question. Oh, yes, which is, please. Um, saw it when it came out, liked it, rented it a couple of times in the 90s, mm-hmm. hadn't seen it in 25 years. Wow. Yeah. This is one that I go back to... I, I went, know you do. I went to see Michael Mann speak about this film at the Egyptian hmm. a year and a half ago, and he sp- and I, he showed us the director's cut, which has like an extra ten oh, minutes, wow. and then he spoke about it afterwards for like an hour, and I was transfixed, transfixed. This with is a, how it all came about. This is a movie that I should love and don't, and and yeah. it, and, it, and it's funny because so so the other Michael Mann film we did was Heat, yeah, Heat, which is also a movie I think I'd only seen once. <laughs> And then when we did it for the podcast, I went, man, I gave this film a really mm. bum review. This is so much deeper, so much more complex, so much more interesting. And it, doing the podcast totally turned me around. And I knew this is another one you love, just yeah. like you loved Heat. This hasn't turned me around so much <laughs> on this one. And there's not really a good reason that I can point to, particularly because like listening to Michael Mann's commentary was fascinating. Yeah. The amount of research he put in, the amount of yeah. deep thought in terms of the look of the film, the culture of the film, the history, mm-hmm. him wanting to kind of correct all the inner inaccuracies there in Cooper's book. Mm-hmm. And and yet it still doesn't hook me. And I think, well, and we'll get to it, but like I think it's because all the B-plots, I want to see that movie. Uh, yeah. I don't get hooked by the romance. What? I know. Wow. Yeah. I'm just a, not a romantic person. I'm a horrible, <laughs> cold bastard. Yeah, this is back when I was in my romantic phases of life, oh, where everything was romantic. fatalistic. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm old and settled now. But like back when I was fatalistic and everything was super important in, the, in my 20s, this movie came out around that time, and it just hit all the right buttons for me about you know wanting to save your love from danger and fighting through all the things to keep her and get her and right. you be united with her at the end. You know, it just hit all my buttons and watching it again for this podcast is really fun. I still enjoy the movie. I don't have the fatalistic romantic attraction right. to it as I did before, but I still damn well love the movie. You want to hear something that's really surprising to me? What's that? This is our first Daniel Day-Lewis movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Well, there's not that many to choose from. To and be it's fair. a short. It's a short list. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of. There are a bunch of others that I'd like mm-hmm. to do as well. I agree. And I think uh, he is in the argument for among the top greatest actors of all time. I would say he is in the top five, maybe top three. And the reason is because he has never sullied his uh, reputation as an actor with any performance or film that is below par. Yeah. And that's rare. Well, and he's never not good. I mean, he's right. never that's not turned. I mean, for me, the number one is Meryl Streep. Okay. Without question. I could see that. Like, I can't, I just, you know, the number of different... Uh, but he he would be maybe the other person in this discussion I would that agree. I would put up there. I mean, mm-hmm. he is an unbelievably great actor. Yep. And even in films that I go, I, they, I think are somewhat flawed. Yeah. He turns in a ridiculously good performance. Right. You won't catch him in Jack and Jill. And I know. Um, and I also, but I also think that this might arguably be his least good performance. Oh, okay. Because he's never bad. <laughs> I mean, I, that's that's like saying the 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 like I just decided that that uh, Toy Story four is my third favorite Toy Story movie. Mm-hmm. They're all really really good. Yeah, I it's, agree. It's just have to you have to kind of put something lower, and this goes lower for me on his list of performances. I agree with you. With um, Toy Story four, I mean. Not um, on this. Yeah, go ahead. Not on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, this all started because. Um, uh, Michael Mann actually saw the 1936, I think it was. So have I. Um, I've never seen that one. Oh, it's horrific. Is it? I've seen yeah. some of the silent ones. So boring. Uh, it, well, and, and and really, I mean, this is, the in the original conception, in the book, this is like all the cliches of the noble savage mm-hmm. and, the, and the heroic white man and all of that stuff, and totally a cardboard cutout version of Native Americans. So it doesn't surprise me that the older versions of this film. Right. And what Michael Mann really wanted to do was to correct a lot of that, to find a way to tell this romantic story, but also set it in a world that was not quite the same level of cliche. Yeah. Um, uh, that is all the pre-production I actually have. Oh, okay. Would you like to get into the film? Let's do it. So it starts at 1757, so we're, you know, 20-ish years before, or I guess 19 years before the Revolutionary War. This is the French and Indian War, which is what we call it. This is where George Washington got his start as a yeah. complete and total failure. He has a massacre that was led against mm-hmm. him, and he was really disgraced. And this is three years into that war, and we hear, we see some credits on the screen, and we hear that there's these three men, the last of a vanishing people, are on the frontier. Yeah. And... Uh, we hear that great theme, which it is. It is a fantastic score. It's so phenomenal. Yeah. And the scenery is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the hard things was where do you find old growth forest on the East Coast? You can find a fair amount of it on the West Coast because it's not as densely settled. But on the East Coast, it's hard. And most of this was shot in South Carolina. Yeah. And we see uh, uh, Chingachgook, which is Russell Means. Mm-hmm. And he is a uh, a Lakota activist, mm-hmm. which I find just fascinating that Michael Mann chose to cast this non-actor to play this part. Well, I think if you're going to go into this place and explore these issues, and in the 90s, early 90s, when like this kind of stuff w- was kind of just starting to get talked about in the pop culture mainstream, this idea of re- going back and... Uh, repairing the perception of Native Americans, repairing what we, how we portrayed them in movies, and yeah. how to respectfully because smoke signals wasn't that much 
farther a- uh, yeah. after this. And there's a lot of Native American Thunderheart. They they try to change the perception and give more pride well, and, and Dances nobility. Dances with Wolves, of course. Dances with like the right ab- great moment. point, Steve. Absolutely, Dances with Wolves as well. And so it was about changing this perception in the 90s about it, you know. And uh, I think that was happening in a number of areas of disenfranchised people that we'd had in this uh, society, in this country. And so with, Rus- with Russell Means, who is like, was a big part of the AIM movement in the 70s. Yeah. And if people don't know, it's a American Indian movement in the 70s. They staged protests. There was, there's a, uh, I think there's a documentary about what they did to in the 70s incident right. at Oklahoma. Wounded Knee. Wounded, right, right. Incident Wounded Knee. And so there's stuff you can research. And Russell was on the front lines of all of that. And so I think it was such a brilliant thing for Michael to cast him because if you're a moviegoer with any kind of interest in this person, you've never seen him before, you do the research, you do the deep dive. And of course, this is before the internet. It was big and YouTube and all that. So you'd go in the library and find out who Russell Means is. And you just open up a whole world to his uh, work and his uh, uh, activism. Well, and I think it's so brilliant if, like, you're saying, I'm going to do it differently. Yeah. And how am I going to prove that I'm going to handle this in the right way? Well, hooking up with Russell Means, like, the real exactly. guy, you know, who'd never acted before. Right. And by the way, he's great. Yes, he, he is. He holds such presence he in really this film. Does. Um, and as they're running, you know, we see him and Daniel Day-Lewis, which is Hawkeye. And I should say, by the way, do you know how I first became aware of, of Last of the Mohicans? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, please. Is M.A.S.H., Oh, right. Hawkeye from Matt. Because Hawkeye always said, uh, he said, you know, Alan Alda's character said, oh, my name's Hawkeye, named for The Last Mohicans. It was my father's favorite book. Yeah. So I knew about this Hawkeye character. <laughs> I think I read this book maybe late, maybe in college, right around when the oh, movie okay. came out. So, like, for me, it was so romanticized. And it's funny because his other, you know what his other, Natty Bumpo's other nickname? There, he has two other nicknames no, in the, the books. Name? Well, one of them is Le Long Carabine. That's what the French call him for the long rifle. Right. And the other one is Deerslayer. Deerslayer. Yeah. I, I think I should write an action movie called Deerslayer. Slayer. Yes, you should make an action it's movie perfect. called Deerslayer. I think you should do it. Um, uh, and we see him and we see Uncas, which is Eric Schwieg, uh, running running along through the, through the woods. It mm-hmm. all looks beautiful, of course. And we see them running through a stream, and they're obviously after something, and we don't know if they're after uh, men or what. And then they raise up their weapons, and they shoot this running elk. Yeah. And that is our introduction to these characters. By the way, you mentioned this forest you're talking about in Carolina. This Mm -hmm. was a planted forest. Oh, is it? Yeah, it was built from scratch, like in the 1700s or 1800s. It was built from scratch and planted to be a forest. Wow. That's incredible. It is so gorgeous. That is beautiful. I mean, every single shot. Um, It's night, and we come across this cabin, and we hear sort of horses, and there's some, you know, settlers there, and we have greetings. It's obvious these people have known each other and are friendly, um, and they kind of sit down to talk. And it's obvious, too, that, you know, they don't see a lot of people. We're out in the the woods, in the wilderness. And... Uh, we come into this candlelit cabin, and this is something you'll see throughout the film. It's Dante Spinotti is the DP, mm-hmm. and it is so painterly, and his ability to film what really, really does appear to be by candlelight is yeah. just amazing. It looks great. And we hear about kind of the politics and the economy of the time, that there's the French and there's the English and who is paying more and what are we trading our furs for and what is happening in this upcoming war and are we going to join the fight? And it's fascinating, too, because they're, they're English settlers, yeah. right? They're not, they're, they are Americans 
Not yet, though. So seven fifty-seven, right? So the and you can see the accents are not predominant. They're not strong right. British accents. They're adapting to a different form of speaking in this situation here and talking politics as you do around the table. Um, and even Daniel, even Natty Bumpo, or I'm sorry, Hawkeye has that moment uh, where he's like, I'm just going to go to Kentucky and get a wife and have kids yeah. and all. He has this whole plan for himself. It certainly doesn't involve getting involved in the war. No, not at all. Not he has at all. no interest in that. You know, he's very fiercely independent, as we find out soon. We see a we see a red coat, and the British are talking to the Huron and kind of saying, you know, that France is our enemy, so France is your enemy. Yeah. And they say, you know, when we're at the fort, the French attack people's homes. And our red coat says, no, you've got to help us for king and country. Right. That's oh. Jared Harris, by the way. A very young Jared Harris. Oh, wow. That's so yes. crazy. Yes. And does Hawkeye want to join us to go fight for king and country? No. Nope. You do what you want with your own scalp. And I'll be telling us what we ought to do with ours. You call yourself a patriot and loyal subject to the crown? Do not call myself subject to much at all. That is a, a very American sensibility. <laughs> Good point. Classically rebellious. Yeah. Defiant. Yeah. And the big question is, is are the British going to have enough to fill the levy? Which means enough troops, enough militia, mm -hmm. so that they can defend their positions in the French war. And they are going to, and they realize that there's enough people who aren't going to go that it's okay because they'll be able to fill the levy. They're going to go with the fill that they have to negotiate with the general about being able to leave if their homes are attacked. Well, that's the big question is right. like, okay, may, we'll go with you as long as we can go home. Right. And what does the general say? Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah of You've course. got a deal. You've got a deal, right, exactly. You, no, no problem. Yeah. Um, there is an absolutely stunning shot of a bridge over a river mm. that is, again, this is in South Carolina. This is on a, a farm, a private farm, mm -hmm. uh, and the bridge is just totally gorgeous. And we see a carriage that's going over. Inside the carriage is uh, another red coat. This is Duncan, and he's looking at a little uh, portrait inside a watch. Um and looking longingly, and this is our first sense, like, oh, there's like a romantic thing that we're heading towards. Absolutely. And that's uh, Steve Waddington is Duncan. Mm -hmm. um, and he comes into where these settlers are arguing with the general. And he kind of overhears this discussion about, no, of course, the British are not going to force you to leave your farms. If you have to, you know, we'll, we'll release you. Major Duncan Hayward reporting, sir, on route to Fort William Henry and bearing dispatches. Safe journey, I trust? Yes, and I didn't experience anything so surprising from Bristol to Albany as that that I witnessed here today. What's that? The Crown negotiating the terms of service. Quite haughty, one might say. <laughs> he is. We th I would say we take a pretty instant dislike yes, to Duncan. as we should. Um, he yeah. pushes through the settlers, too, to confront yep. the British uh, uh, general there. Yeah. Because his attitude is, um, I thought British policy was to make the world England. Yeah. You know? And then even as a hesitation, he's talking to the general and then says, sir. Mm. He's a jerk in many levels. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is what they mean when they say privileged. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I love, too, by the way, that that the general, which is General Webb, I think, is, mm -hmm. is his, his feeling is we're not going to have to worry about the French much at all. Because the French haven't the nature for war. Their Latinate voluptuousness combines with their Gallic laziness, and the result is they'd rather eat and make love with their faces than fight. <laughs> and if you're familiar with Henry V, this is 
the Dauphin and the other French lords' words in reverse. Oh, that's hilarious! Right? No, I didn't. I didn't remember that. They talk all that stuff about the English and that they don't, you know, they they don't have that strength and they don't. They they're, they're poor English, right? The French are so so sure that they're going to win and they lose in here as well. The English, the English French, um, oh yeah, hatred it goes deep. Yeah, which is really crazy when you consider that England doesn't become England until William the Conqueror, who's French. I mean, the basic. The first English aristocracy is really French aristocracy. Well, you know, England and France, it's just that thing. It's like, if you didn't exist, I'd rule this area. Yeah. And the fact that you do really pisses me off. Yeah. And both have done pretty terrible things I mean, in historic. Anytime any country has a hundred-year war, yeah. you're going to have some real problems between them. Right. And trust me, if Canada was as strong as we are, we would have real issues with Canada. Oh, they're so nice. Yeah, well, of course they are, but naturally, <laughs> we'd develop some sort of issues with them because they they pose a threat to us just by being there that close to us um but we maybe we'll just eat some poutine and we'll be okay and we find out duncan is there to um uh bring the sisters the daughters of the general monroe cora and um alice alice to the general with some troops as well right and now we's our first chance to meet magua yeah um and he's gonna be our guide and this is west studi west studi man and he was at the Wounded Knee protests with Russell Means. He is another guy right out of this yeah. group. I think he, I honestly think he steals the whole movie. Hell yeah, he does. Yeah. He Every is, scene he's in. He is so great. Um, uh, he's so powerful and interesting. And of course, he, both he and Russell Means go on to have really interesting acting careers. Yes. And then uh, Duncan shows up at the compound and finds Cora. Yeah. And here we have uh, Madeline Stowe. How do you feel about her? Uh, absolutely the biggest crush I've ever had on anyone. This side of Elizabeth Shue is Madeline Stowe. Wow. I, I first, when I saw this movie, I fell instantly in love with her. Um, her voice, her softness of, uh, feature, her beauty and her strength in this movie, her defiant strength in this movie. Um, you know, sometimes you could be a feminist without like putting a neon arrow above yourself to say you're a feminist. She's a feminist throughout this movie. Very she's strong female character. She absolutely owns her own life yeah. and her own destiny and does from the very beginning, including yep. in the next scene, which we're about to see. If you are going to pick a location for a lady friend yes. that you had designs on, mm -hmm. who you hadn't seen for months or even years. Possibly. Where would you pick it? Way in the middle of a field. Off by ourselves. It is such a ridiculous yeah, it really spot. Is. And it is so scenically gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. And we're going to have a nice little lunch between Duncan and Cora. Yeah. And Duncan is pretty sure he knows exactly the way the rest of his life is going to go mm -hmm. and who he's going to spend it with. Yeah. Cora's not so sure. Yeah. I don't know what to say, Duncan. I truly wish they did, but my feelings don't, don't go beyond friendship. And uh, he has a hard time accepting it and tries to cajole her and kind of crosses a line a little bit when he says, In my heart, I know, once we're joined, we'll be the most marvelous couple in London. I'm certain of that. So why not let those whom you trust, your father, help settle what's best for you? In view of your indecision, you should rely on their judgment and mine. I think this is a beautifully sexist 
passive aggressive controlling move. It really is. It is so fun. Because what happens is, is he's like, well, of course we're going to get married. Right. That's right. just to be assumed. But her dad wants him right. to, to marry Duncan. Of course. And he wants it. And so he's like, well, we're the men. And we're very sure about this. Right. So if you're not sure, right. then, you know, I'm sure you'll fall in love with me eventually. <laughs> It's a good foundation friendship, supposedly. <laughs> really? I mean, it's so, it's so funny how just quickly you're like, ooh. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this guy. But uh, but he does, and this is a great scene too, Steve, for one reason, and that is right at the end there, he says to her, consider this, blah, 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 is almost like a demand, and then relents yeah. and says, would you please consider? So there is an understanding that the possibility of him being a good person, which we'll find out later, he'll make a good decision, uh, is there in him. It's just where it's being overshadowed by these other terrible parts of him. Well, I think part of it is that, and really in his defense, is he has yeah. been raised with a certain viewpoint of what honor and men and women and all these things are supposed to be. Absolutely. And so he is acting out exactly how that is supposed to happen, right. which is that at this time, if a father had determined that his daughter should marry a certain person, she should. Right. And that's what's going to happen. And the fact that Cora, as you said, it is a feminist move to go like, well, I don't want to. Right. And to have enough agency to stand up to him, and that is somewhat shocking to him. And just as you know, he's raised as a soldier, probably comes from a family of soldiers, when the militia are not actually willing to just throw down their lives willy-nilly for king and country, right. he's like, um, you're dishonorable. It's really black and white for him. Yeah. And that and, and he is in fact a character that's gonna have a character arc mm -hmm. um and have a redemption. So it's you know, this is where we're starting off. Uh we also meet Alice, which is uh Cora's sister. Didn't act much after this movie. Oh really? Yeah, not much. I mean, she is perfectly interestingly ambiguous, I think, yes. through this film. She's exquisitely quiet. Yes. <laughs> well said. <laughs> We're off on our march. And Magua's there, and he's sort of the scout that's leading the group, and the women are there. This is all sort of shot with long lenses through this beautiful landscape where the woods and the forest are made to look really big, and they look really small. And the long lenses gives us the sense of being observed. Cora is sort of looking out at this beautiful area. I mean, because she's coming from England yeah, and right. then from Boston, and this is... The, yeah. This is nowhere. I mean, she's yeah. never seen anything like this. And something to note too is Alice says how excited she is when they're, when, you know, that, at that uh, little tea party that Duncan is having. Mm. Alice says how excited she is. This, they're going on an adventure. Sure. Have you seen the Red Man? Do you like? There's this right. whole thing for her that's very much like I've read it in the books, and it's so dangerous and exciting, which is that kind of thing of like, well, I, what danger could possibly come to me? Right. This is so fun to think about. Right. Right. Well, because I'm with the British Army and that exactly. and they're savages who right. po could nobody could possibly hurt, even though they are literally marching into a war. Exactly. I mean, even if they don't know that Fort Henry is being attacked, yeah. which they don't, they still know there's a war going on. It's been going on for three years. Exactly. And then Duncan says, announces to Magua that we got to rest. And I love Magua's response in subtitled. Yeah. <laughs> we, see, we see what he says, but Duncan obviously doesn't he understand it. Yeah. It is fantastic. But his shade is brilliant. Oh, yeah. Magua understand the white man real well. Yeah. It's such yeah. great shade. The white man is a dog to his woman. When they want to eat, he puts down his tom tomahawk to feed their laziness. <laughs> Terrible. 
That is a yeah. I don't. I wouldn't put Mago on the list of greatest bad guys of all time, but he's a good bad guy. I would put him on a list of most memorable bad guys of all time. Maybe not best, but certainly memorable. Um, yeah. I mean, but I don't love the movies. Yeah, you. Fair and we, we've already talked about between Darth Vader and Shigur and yeah. Hans. You know, like there's a lot of bad guys I put above Magua, but he's really good. Okay, really good. Um, and I love too that that Duck is like, what'd you say? Yeah, <laughs> and he says in English. Magua said, understand English very well. English very well, yeah. Which is a great, that's a double entendre. That's what I'm saying, he's yeah. shading like a mother. Because he's saying, I understand the language of English, but I also understand the English. Yeah. That's great. And we see Hawkeye and his buddies are stalking something. And we see them examining tracks, which, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis exten- studied extensively how to track apparently months before the movie was shot he went out and did that he, yeah. for months he lived out in the woods and and this is before he was famous by the way i want people to understand that this is before he was famous or had you know he went and did this well what's interesting to me about this and maybe this is a good time to talk about mm. is he does a couple of artsy movies sure my left foot he does my left foot he's in unbearable lightness of being right i think i don't know if name of the father might be right before this i think it's right after right this. after this yeah this is a movie star movie right and this is the only time he does it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, you know, you know, puts his little toes in the water of, mm-hmm. do I want to be a giant movie star? And then goes, no. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, it's not my jam. I mean, certainly this is a big hit. And he, if he had wanted to go be in a Tom Cruise movie or a big action movie, he could have done it. Tailor made. Yeah. Absolutely. And he certainly proves in this film that he can do the action sequences and the fighting and the climbing and the running and the shooting. He could do all that stuff. Yeah. Imagine him as a James Bond. Oh. He'd have been fantastic. Yeah. A 90s James Bond? Good God. Oh, he would have been great. Right. I mean, he would never do it. He'd never do it. It's not interesting to him. Um, we're back to our march with Magua, and we see him turn and walk back along the side of the troops. Yeah. And you know. Yep. You know that something's up, and he reaches. It could be a dude reaching into his coat to grab the gun. He reaches kind of into his cloak and pulls out that tomahawk. Mm-hmm. And then he just, out of nowhere, kills a dude. Shoots another guy. Duncan tries to give orders, gets his redcoats into formation. They open fire into the woods, not really seeing what they're shooting at. And then comes the Huron attack. And Alice goes down and Cora goes to protect her. And the Native Americans charge in. And we go right into hand-to-hand combat, which is, of course... Once you fire, once the redcoats fire that run round on their muskets, yeah, it's hand to hand, and you see Cora watching the violence. I think that's a really important mm-hmm. shot, mm-hmm. and you see her lack of fear. Yeah, you know, she holds Alice's face away from it too. Yep, yep. protecting, so, yeah, protecting her from the experience and staring at it and looking at it. And one of the things she sees is the first scout being taken. Yeah, which is a pretty brutal thing to witness. Yes, um, and Duncan is fighting. Uh, but his horse goes down, and uh, he stands in front of the women with the sword because while we might have criticisms of Duncan for his privilegedness and the way he treats Cora and the way he treats the, the, the local colonials, it's not that he's not a brave soldier. Nope. Absolutely a brave soldier. Yeah. But Duncan on his own, he ain't going to do, do the job. You know what he needs? Hawkeye. Yeah. Hawkeye, Chingachgook, and Uncas come up, and man, they're great. Just mow them down. Yep. 
uh, Magua has his eye, has the rifle set on uh, Korra and then sees Hawkeye aiming his rifle at him, yep. then spins and shoots to, and then escapes in the smoke. Yep. Uh, that is such a great uh, moment because you realize that these three guys plus uh, Duncan were enough to get rid of this small party yep. of Huron. And their goal was to kill Alice and possibly... I mean, kill Cora and possibly Alice. Yep, that is that is the meaning of the attack. And of course, what does Duncan do? He turns his gun on Hawkeye. On Chingachgook. Oh, on Chingachgook. He's about to shoot him, uh, and even Cora says, stop. Uh, and uh, it's uh, Hawkeye who grabs the rifle and pulls it down and says, in case your aim is as good as your judgment. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, or better than your judgment, rather. Yep. Um, and it's after the battle. Yeah. Um, and we scare off the horses because they're too loud and they're going to, you know. You can track them for days. Easy, easy to be tracked. And Chingachgook and Hawkeye have a conversation, and they come up with a decision, and they go, we're going to go. And at this moment, Duncan doesn't have any alternative, you know. And they follow Hawkeye, and they walk off into the mist. I find it fascinating, too, Steve, that the film decides what to subtitle and what not to subtitle. I know. When they're speaking in Native American tongue, yeah. So 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 French is subtitled. Yes, French is subtitled. And the Huron is subtitled. Yes. But the Mohican, I think, is not subtitled. It's not subtitled consistently. It oh, is, is it at sub- certain times and yeah. then not at certain times. Which just goes to show that, like you, you know, as much as movies sometimes you know tend to obey rules. Yeah. Sometimes you go, well, I don't want you to know because I think yeah. I think what it is. I think it's a really great point. I hadn't thought about it at all until you just brought it up. Yeah. But it's because Cora doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Right. Oh, that's a good. That's point. what the that's what the moment is about. Is that you don't want. Her us to know what they're saying right. because we want to feel like Cora. Who are these strange men, and what do they want, and what are they doing, and what are they talking Good about? Good point. Yeah. Um, and what is speaking of Cora? What does she do while all this discussion is going on? Pulls a gun. Pulls pulls a gun off a dead soldier and yep. puts it in her pocket. And pockets it. Again, total you know feminist badass icon that we like. Yep. Yeah. Totally. She's um, not going to be caught again without a way to defend herself. Yep. Beautiful waterfall that we walk over and. Uh, Uncas helps Alice up, and we get that. There's that connection. So this is okay. So this is the thing about this movie's view of love: <laughs> is it is just this is a love at first sight film. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's why I don't get so behind well, it. It certainly much. is between Uncas and then eventually Alice, but it isn't between Cora and Hawkeye just yet. It's it's two sites. There is right. There's <laughs> there Beatrice and Benedict. The mm. other two are Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, but Beatrice and Benedict, they fight a lot. They, they, they're about to banter and fight a lot here in just a second. It's very brief. Well, we don't have a lot of time. There's a war, there's a war <laughs> there's going on. There's a war going on. Uh, and Duncan does go to thank Hawkeye. Yes. Thank you for your help. Eventually. Yeah. After questioning him. Yeah. And then kind of, where are we going? Right. And it's so And he, I get it, is that he was supposed to be in charge. Right. And he did not do well. And then this dude came out of nowhere and saved the day. And he knows that this guy saved the day. Right. But he's trying to keep his pride on some level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first thing he's asking about, or, or that Hawkeye says, is he's like, well, that Huron captain that attacked you guys. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That guy was a Mohican. <laughs> and this is Duncan, of course, who just came from England or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you know about Hurons and Mohicans? And and then the question is like, well, what was this attack about? And he's like, well, it's about the girl. Yeah, he says, what did this, uh, what did this brunette do? This woman with the brown hair? What did she do? Like, why would he? Why would Magua want to kill this uh, woman? Yeah. And uh, Duncan is uh, non. Duncan is perplexed yeah. about this because he's he, he, he's like, no, she, he doesn't know her at all. Yeah. And the other thing Duncan is saying, well, what, what are you doing here? Like, I thought the militia and our scouts were supposed to be going 
north and doing this. He's like, I'm not a scout. I ain't your scout. I'm sure ain't no damn militia. I'm heading west, and I love this moment. It's so great. That is a war on. How is it you are heading west? Well, we kind of face to the north and real sudden, like, turn left. <laughs> Which, okay. Is it true, though? Because if this is where this is, they shot it in Carolina, but it's in actually in New York. In New York, so so if he turned left, he would not find Kentucky. No, I mean it would go west. I mean, sure. if you have Michigan north, before it ever if you Kentucky. face north and take a left, you will go west, but you're not going to Kentucky. Exactly. Well, is is Kentucky where Kentucky is? Oh, the, good point. I don't know. I don't know. It's a very um, good point. And we come over a fence, and what do we find is a dead woman. And we've reached the same house, the same homestead yeah. that we were at before, and and the the house is in ruins. And we find dead kids, and you know, or Hawkeye and Chinchukachkuk. They look at the tracks and realize that it was, you know, the French yeah. and the and the Hurons and. And then this is the big question of like, well, what was this? Think of, well, all the stuff is here. The mirrors and the the tools and everything is here. So they didn't take anything. So this was not thievery. This was a raiding party. This was an attack. The next thing is, well, do we bury them? And very quickly, Hawkeye goes, no, can't bury them. We got to go. Whoever they are, those are strangers. They're at least entitled to a Christian burial. They cannot be left behind. Let us go, miss. I will not. I've seen the face of war before, sir, but I've not seen war made upon women and children. And almost as cruel as your indifference. This is a great moment. Yeah. A really strong moment. And and it's not that she's freaked out by the war. She says she's seen war before. Mm-hmm. And there's a great moment where he walks towards her as she backs up. Yep. Because he's a little scary. I mean, she Can doesn't be. know what to think about him. She backs up, but she doesn't go down. She doesn't, she, she doesn't back down. She, she backs up, but she, she backs up, back but not back down. Yeah. yeah. Miss Monroe. They're not strangers. And they stay as they lay. And there's a look. And there's a look between Alice and Cora. And then they follow. Yeah. It's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. And it was just built up by one scene with those people at the beginning of yep. the movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, loss. And now it's the middle of the night. And Cora kind of lays down next to a Hawkeye where he's keeping watch. And asks, why didn't you bury those people? Anyone looking for our trail would see it as a sign we passed that way. And there's a moment, and then she basically goes. You were acting for our benefit, and I apologize. I misunderstood you. Again, it's the strength of the apology. The strength of the apology. Why is that a negative? Apologizing from a position of strength is possible. Yeah. Well, because she was wrong. Yes. You know? <laughs> right. And, and this is a really, really nice scene. And there's a moment, too, where he's, you know, he's not that nice with her at first. No. Because he says, my father warned me uh, to expect this. And, of course, he's talking about Chingachgook. He said, do not try to understand them. Yes, and do not try to make them understand you. That is because they are a breed apart and make no sense. <laughs> Is he talking about white people or women? <laughs> well, it seems like he's talking about women, but it could go for anything, really. Well, that's what's interesting in the moment is that yeah. it's it's hard to know. But then this conversation is interrupted because we hear something. And he cocks his weapon and she pulls out that musket. Yeah. And what does he do when she pulls out the musket? 
kind of has a smile, a smirk of almost like respect. And he hands her the powder horn. He hands her the powder horn. Yeah. Because he treats her as an equal in that moment. Uh-huh. He doesn't go, oh, you shouldn't be holding it. She's like, oh, you've got a weapon. You should be prepared to use it. Which, and I probably, if you want to add something to the movie, her confrontation of him, her calling him out and backing up and not backing down, I'm sure he was thinking about that the whole time while he was walking and leading them where he was going. So that when they have this moment... When he hands her the powder horn, it's because he knows, oh, she's like this. She's this. She's like me. Well, this is why This is why I do, although they do certainly have a moment of conflict. Sure, sure. I do think of this as pretty much a love at first sight. They look, there's the, once they connect, they're like, oh, I get who you are. Once they connect, yes. Yeah. Agreed. Which is in this scene. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. This is and, where it begins. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and once they're sort of clear, she kind of asks where he's from and he yeah. says that his family has been killed and that Chingachgook has raised him and that he was educated at 10 with the English and that's what, how he learned this language and how, what makes him a man of two worlds. Right. And then there's this just nice moment where he talks about the myth of, the son and the the death of the mother son and how the father spread that off in the stars and it's it's really a be- and it's beautifully shot and the eye light which means that little sparkle of light in the actor's eyes yeah. which can be very hard to get but it just adds that intensity and romance and beauty and connection between the two characters and he looks at her and she looks down and she looks back up and that's it you know what i mean yeah we're Agreed. good yeah um, one of the things, too, by the way, in working with Madeline Stowe is that Michael Mann not only researched this world, but he researched what is the world that Cora's character would have grown up in England. What was her life like? What did she do during the day? What books did she read? What clothes did she mm-hmm. wear? What? How was she raised? What food did she eat? I mean, he went deep yeah. into all the ants, all the backgrounds of all the characters and all the cultures in all the places that we we're at. Native Americans, English, settlers, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really well-researched film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one more thing that we get when we are, are watching this moment between these characters is the love theme. Yeah. Interesting. So the composer is Trevor Jones, mm-hmm. and the scores we've already said multiple times is great. This love thing came from Michael Mann's wife, who was listening to the radio and heard an Irish folk song. And she brought it to Michael Mann and said, a modern song, like not in a traditional song, a modern Irish folk song, brought it to Michael Mann and said, you got to use this in the movie. He brings it to Trevor Jones and says, listen to it. Play the harmony, not the top melody, but the harmony. That is the main theme of the movie. And the melody is the love theme for the movie. Mm. And Trevor Jones listened and went, yeah. And they bought the rights to the song. They incorporated within the film. And it's right. beautiful. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uncas is in the ro- the woods looking around. Um, Cor and Hawkeye are together. Uh, and in the distance, we see the battle at yeah. the fort. And it's a scary moment. Because you don't know what's, you come out of the woods and you see the flames, you hear the cannon, but you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And that's where you're supposed to go to be safe. And it is surrounded by all this battle. And the fort is next to a lake and the camera pans along the French artillery that's attacking the fort, cannon to cannon to cannon. All these cannon were built for this film. Wow. Yeah. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. And they and they went and had them built with traditional methods. In Ooh. fact, the fort was all that is a real fort they built from scratch. This is not movie set land. Dude, that is really taking a chance on a film. Yeah. No, they put a lot of effort into making everything perfectly accurate. The cannonballs that they're shooting into the fort? Yeah. Basketballs painted black. <laughs> well, at least that's okay. <laughs> And we see the Redcoats inside the fort. We see the French outside the fort. We see Redcoats getting hit. We see French getting hit. And now we're on that lake and the quiet canoe ride across the lake to make it into the fort. Yeah. Again, I'm going to just keep saying, you know, Dante Spinotti and beautiful cinematography. Agree. You know what it reminds me of in terms of cinematography is Apocalypse Now. Oh. There's some of the same sort of painterly quality in the film. That's a great point. And they're inside the fort. All lit by torchlight. Again, Dante Spinotti. I'm going to have to stop on that, but it's really, really good. <laughs> yeah. And we go and we meet Dad, Colonel Monroe. Colonel Monroe, the Scottish. Um, he's Scotsman. great. He yeah. has such a presence about him. And haggard face, weathered face, yeah. lived in face. Yeah. It's great. And you could see like the professional soldier. Yes. Somewhat cold, somewhat, you know, just practical trying to do his duty. Right. Um, and he is not happy that they're there. Why did you disobey me, girls? When? How? I... My letter. There was no... What? There was no letter. I sent three couriers to Webb. One called Magwar arrived. He delivered no such message. Does Webb not even know we have a siege? Sir Webb has no idea. And he certainly does not know to send reinforcements. And this is when we start to go, oh, Magwa. Yep. Yeah. And now he's suddenly going, oh, there are no reinforcements coming, which means they're pretty much in deep shit. Yeah. Um, he thanks uh, Hawkeye and uh, and says, you know, what do you need? And he goes, oh, we can use some powder and some food. Yep. And Duncan now asks about the situation, and, and his response is, The situation is his guns are bigger than mine, and he has more of them. They keep our heads down while his troops take 30 yards of trench a day. When those trenches are 200 yards from the fort and within range, you'll bring in these 15-inch mortars, lob explosive rounds over our walls and pound us to dust. They look to be 300 yards out. If they're digging 30 yards a day, you'll have three days. Damn. And Hawkeye goes, well, why don't you go get reinforcements from Webb, who's not, he's like 12 miles away, which again is new news. And he goes, okay, pick some men and we'll send them out. And the next question we bring up is, that settled that farmhouse that was killed, that Cameron's right. farmhouse. Uh, and does Monroe believe them? Nope. No. Or conveniently doesn't believe them. Or says, I need a little bit more proof. Right. And ask Duncan what was going on and what does Duncan say? And lies. Yeah. He in full front lies. Of Alice. Oh, Cora, rather. Yeah. He full lies. In he full on. And Cora, you see the look and she doesn't call him on it. Not yet. And that is, and this is the thing, is that our dislike for Duncan, it's like, it's like there are moments where you go, oh, maybe he's going to be, no, no, not cool. We almost have dueling villains. Yeah. On two sides, Dun- on two opposite sides of the war, Duncan with the British and Magua with the French. Uh, and only one ultimately becomes the villain. But it's an interesting position to be in the two separate sections of this film, have strong villains as the film progresses, going side by side almost. Well, what's interesting is, it's funny, I, I had this epiphany a long time ago in a contract dispute with someone who I had thought was my friend, who, who still was my friend. Okay, um, But he had sort of, I will say, betrayed me um, and done it, but not really realized he had done it. 
he was huh. sort of self-interested and naive and stupid and did a thing. And I was like, no, on the contract, it said that I was the screenwriter and you just changed my title when you tried to sell the movie to wow. additional writing by. <laughs> and you reduced my, my percentage of the film from this to this. And he's like, well, okay, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, that was our deal. But he wasn't a bad person. Right. He was just self-interested and kind of went along. And, and the, like Duncan is privileged and naive and wants his... He's not a villain in the way that Magua's a villain. Right. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of thing. There's not a bitterness to him that there is to Magua. For him, it's more a matter of, I don't want something taken away that I still want a shot at getting. Yeah. So and maybe I'll give a little white. Well, and he has yeah. belief in the infallibility and the superiority right. of the English. Yeah. So he's like, well, we're just going to win because we're the best, and we need all these men. Yeah. If we're going to win. Yeah. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles' new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad, and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Now, your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. But now we cut to the French. Were there these women singing in harmony, which is sort of an interesting way yeah. to enter into the scene? And there is the French Marquis who's based on a real colonel who sounds like he was a real fascinating mm -hmm. person and quite a brilliant general and one of the or colonel. And one of the interesting things is it sounds like, and this movie kind of bears it out, the French had way better relations to the Native Americans yeah. than the English. They end up having better relations with the Americans too. That's fair against point. the English as well. Um and who is he talking to? Magua. The English war chief Webb goes to Fort Edward with 60th Regiment. He does not know that my father's army attacks Fort William Henry. There's such great acting from West Studi as Magua. Not because the, I mean, the look does a lot of the work. You know, the hair pulled, uh, shaved back, yeah. the angry look on his face, the resting bitch face he has through the whole movie, <laughs> right? But there's a way he does his speech pattern. And West Studi does speak like this, kind of back in his throat. Mm chopped in inside there's a, a way he speaks and it's stu it's staccato yeah. but it's a staccato in a way of like i at any moment i will absolutely kill you i just oh, yeah. don't know when and so it adds to the villainy of him and what we hear a little bit more about his motivation which is revenge yeah and he wants to not only cut out monroe's heart 
but he wants to kill his progeny so that his seed will not flourish. He wants to wipe the seed off his seed off the earth because they killed his family. Yep. The the the, uh, the 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 gray hair. Yeah. The English they killed. So it's an interesting moment. If he had any possibility of vulnerability, I don't think he would be seen necessarily as a full-on villain. But he doesn't. He's a, he's his bitterness has consumed him. Well, and from he's top go, to bottom. and he wants to kill innocent people. Yeah, you know, like that. He has no problem about killing these two women in order to get his revenge. I think right. in general we kind of go, ah, you're a bad guy. Yeah, that's a bit too far. But what's interesting about it is that this movie, in the big picture, we have we don't take sides morally at all. No, no, no. This movie is not pro English or anti French or even. Qu- Pro Mohican and anti Huron. Right. It is about these characters within the small story. We want them to survive. Yep. Like we're not actually, and that's a really interesting place to be. Like you would think, well, the daughter is English and Natty Bumpo's uh heritage is English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He speaks English, and so therefore those are gonna be the good guys. But that's not what's happening. Like we don't go like Monroe is a good guy. Right. Not exactly. I mean, we might want him to survive. And we and, and even thinking about Magua, while he's clearly the bad guy, we also, as you say, don't judge him in the same way because his family was killed by Monroe. Exactly. And he, you know? he did what he had to do to survive. He was taken by the Mohicans. Or not yeah. the Mohicans. Uh, Mohawk. He was taken by the Mohawks. And he ended up becoming a blood brother to the Mohawk even after the Mohawk enslaved him. I think the Mohawk is the Mohicans. Is it? I think so. All right. We'll have to check this out. Okay. Now, now I want. I, that's why I always thought that Mohican was another word for Mohawk. No, I think it's two different things. But we'll find out. We will find out. Yeah, but uh, if, there will be something on our Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. With the answer to this. But he says, like, I, I was made. I was, you know, taken as a slave, and uh, my wife uh, married someone else because right. they thought I was dead. Um, but he destroyed my village. But he says I had to become a blood brother to the Mohawk. So. He essentially is talking about a Stockholm Syndrome situation that he became friends or allies with the people who had captured him and enslaved him so that he could survive. So he probably did a lot of terrible shit so that he could be seen as an equal by the Mohawk and then eventually uh, be where he is now, which is in charge of this this Huron uh, uh, people. And it's terrible, but you get at least watching it this time. I got this window into the po- of how he was created, which I just kind of skipped over in the past. But there is a real reason why he oh, ends yeah. up the way he is. You know, I just realized, and this is a bit mm-hmm. of a digression, but that I actually know someone who has this story. Oh, wow. What? So as you know, uh, as I've talked about before, Hoover, my documentary mm-hmm. partner, was embedded with the Mujahideen during the war against the Soviets. Okay. And there's a guy that I have met whose name is Jalal Wardok, mm-hmm. and his family, the Wardok province in Afghanistan, is named after his family. Wow. His uncle uh, became the Secretary of Defense of or Defense Minister of Afghanistan in the post-Taliban era. Uh-huh. So he's part of a really powerful family. And he watched his uh, whole family murdered in front of him by the Soviets Wow! And so, when he was 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And so what he did was enroll in the Soviet Air Force. He joined the Soviet oh. Air Force... He learned how to fly MiGs. He spent until he was an officer in the Soviet Air Force in his early 20s. And then one day he walked out to the airfield and without permission got on a MiG, stole it, 
flew it into Pakistan where they were had missiles aimed at him. And he said, no, I am defecting. And he stole a MiG and gave it to the Pakistani army and then joined the Mujahideen to fight against the Soviets. Wow. And I met him and he was driving a cab in Washington, D.C. when I met him. Holy I met shit. him a few times. Yeah. And he is a brilliant, charismatic, extremely nice man right. who has this story of doing one of the most heroic, you know, he's interviewed on 60 Minutes by Dan Rather. Yeah. And he, I mean, it's kind of the Magua story on a level. But without the bitterness. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he probably is bitter against the Soviets. I didn't sure. talk to him about that. Sure. Um, but yeah, he, he is a person who hid who he was for a decade wow. in order to get his revenge. Yeah. But we certainly digress. <laughs> um, we're in a surgery and Cora is tending to uh, the wounded, which again is a sign of her character. Yeah. She's not squeamish. She's trying to do the right things. And in comes Hawkeye and we got a look. And she says, what are you looking at, sir? What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. That's great. Yeah. That is so. And again, there's a reaction and she looks down. And then after a pause, she looks up. Yeah. That's done. Yeah, we're done. Powerful people flirt differently. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> well, and, and the like, uh, the lack of pretense. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing. Well, and the world that she comes from is all subtle. Yeah. You right. know, and he's just like, I'm looking at you. Right. This is, this is what I want. Woman, I want you. And she's like, okay. All right. And now it's outside, and uh, Hawkeye is co giving covering fire for the guy who's going to send the message to General Webb out in the field. And he pulls out that long rifle. And this is, in fact, a much hundred-year earlier version of the rifled barrier, barrel we talked about in the Civil War documentary. Mm. That's why he's called the long carabine by the French, the long rifle. And these weapons were far more accurate than the muskets that everyone else was carrying. But they mm. took a really long time to load. Yeah. And if you didn't load them just right, they didn't do anything at all. So this is like an advanced weapon that he's using. And, and that was his big superpower is that yeah. he is a great, great shot. Cora is uh, listening to dad, who's to her dad, who's talking to Hawkeye, and he's again asking for proof. I need proof more convincing than this man's opinion. Before I weaken the fort's defenses by releasing the militia, Chingachgook's of the same opinion about the raid. Taken together, that's gospel. Your fort will stand or fall dependent on Webb's reinforcements, not the presence of the colonials. And Monroe says no. That Duncan saw what happened, and that they're 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 wrong. I saw nothing would lead me to the conclusion it was other than a raid by savages bent on thievery. And Hawkeye says, you're a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> Boy, the tension just goes right it through does. the roof at that moment. Um, because this is, we're going to have to have a duel. I mean, that's what this era is. Montcalm is a soldier and a gentleman. None of which easy for you to suppose. Is there women and children alone on the farms? Not yours. You forget yourself, sir. And the militia are going, well, Webb promised us. It was very clear at the beginning of the movie. Go back mm -hmm. to scene six. That, <laughs> that we were promised that we could leave if this happened. And Monroe says, British promises are honored. And the militia will not be released. Because I need more definite proof than this man's word. The guy... Uh, counters and says, uh, Hawkeye and Chingachgook's words, word has been law around here before you ever showed up. Yep. Yeah. Um, Why can't I say that? Chingachgook. Chingachgook. It's okay, a, we well, some stuff's hard to say. Yeah, it is. It's funny because I, I teach about half of my students are international students. Uh, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. And I'm always like, look, I really want to try to say your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. Uh, it's traditional in Chinese students that they have they come with English names oh, most wow. of the time. Okay. So I've had students named 
Castle and and Duke and Wes and Lee and Sunbeam. I mean, like it's really fascinating. Yeah, but it, but I'm also grateful because I remember those names. And right, I say them. Certainly you know, and pronounce them. You know, I I don't like to be the ugly American who can't talk. You know, say people's names, but it's hard sometimes. It's ugly if you don't attempt it. The fact uh, that you attempt it. I try. Does the rule of English law no longer govern? Has it been replaced by absolutism? Which is, again, we're kind of into taxation without representation. Exactly. What rights do the colonials have? If English law cannot be trusted, maybe these people would do better making their own peace with the French. That is sedition! That is the truth! I'll have you beaten from this fort! And there's a long stare between Duncan and Hawkeye. And Hawkeye says, Someday I think you and I are going to have a serious disagreement. That's the line of the movie for me. Yeah. I've used it a few times. Oh, really? Yes. Shit, I don't want the outlaw to come to me and say someday we're going to have a serious disagreement. Someday you and I are going to have a serious disagreement. Um, and Monroe lays down, literally lays down the law. Anyone fomenting or advocating the leaving of Fort William Henry will be hung for sedition. Anyone actually caught leaving will be shot for desertion. And my decision is final. Get out. And you're, those, are two, those aren't good choices. Wait, I'm going to be hung or I'm going to be shot? And then Cora comes to Dunk. Cora and Duncan talk. And he immediately knows he did something wrong. He's like a dog who comes oh, to yeah. with a head down. Yeah. It's like, whatever was said here, but he's still we're not going to think it. about it. Don't worry, we're, when we get married. Yeah, please, this is going to be a long, this is going to be something we laugh about with our yeah. kids. And she very strongly says, I promised you an answer. You've complimented me with your persistence and patience. But the decision I have come to is that I'd rather make the gravest of mistakes and to surrender my own judgment. Please take this as my final answer. Must be no. So great. That's a great turndown. Yeah. And he says, I see. And he exits. Sheeply, I will yeah. say. Uh, later on, Hawkeye talks to the militia. And he basically says, you guys should leave. And this is how you should do it. And they ask if he's coming with them. And he goes, no, I got something here. Which we all kind of, they all, they all know what the yeah, something exactly. he has here is. He has a conversation with Chingachkuk. Um, and of whether or not they should leave, which he doesn't. Right. And then he comes back as Cora back in the surgery is like closing the eyes of a dead man. There's Hawkeye. And we hear the music as people are dancing sort of in the night before they're doomed is what it really seems like. Right. And they walk towards her and they come together and there is a look and he takes her by the hand and now they're holding hands and then... It's just beautifully shot love scene with yep. the fires in the background and the music. It's just a wonderfully romantic Agreed. moment. Yeah. And I like the way it ends with her in his arms and then like these great profile shots of them looking. Oh, yeah. They almost look like two eagles looking yeah. out on, onto the world. It's so powerful. Um, and, and this is this is the thing is that this is where I go like I acknowledge this is beautifully done, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I, I'm I'm not emotionally involved with those two. You're I'm insane. Real... You're insane. Well, we've established we've done 140 <laughs> something episodes. My lack of sanity has been very clearly it's very well documented. I think the cinephiles listeners have a real good sense of why I'm crazy. Um, I think it's beautiful. I think it's so poetic. It's so romantic. I love it. I love how I I, I admire the craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not emotionally involved in them. Right. I'm really not. Okay. Um. And then, but then we do have a great hard cut after this romantic scene. Boom! The redcoats burst through the doors. Yeah, there's Hawkeye, and they are going to take him prisoner because he helped the settlers leave. And we clearly established that sedition. You're going to be hung. You're going to be shot. And this is one of those things uh, scenes where I'm talking about 
we, uh, where they start speaking in Mohican yeah. and it's subtitled. Right. Right. Because the question is, are they going to stay? Right. Uh, which they do. And what he says, what are they doing to my white son? That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I, so well, because what's so great in that relationship is this isn't my adopted son. Right. This is my son. My this son. isn't my you know half brother or my adopted father. Right. This is my father. Or a kid I found and raised. Yeah. My son. Well, and, and I guess th- this is the thing for me about the movie. I'm so much more interested in that relationship than I am in the relationship between okay. Hawkeye and Korra. It's like I want like this story of these people are more interesting to me and there's not that much of it. Right. You know, that's kind of where I go. And that's how I feel too throughout the film. It's like, oh, I kind of want to see more. It's like it's like it's like I don't really generally like the idea of um VR movies or interactive movies where you choose the direction. Right. But in this movie, I would be like, I want to go see Chingachgook right. more because I'm fascinated by him than I am with this other stuff. Yeah. Um and now we have an argument with Cora where it's just like, no, he saved our lives. And they go, no, he's guilty of sign- of sedition. He's going to be hanged like any other criminal. Yeah. And Duncan, man, uh, Duncan says he shouldn't send you to beg. Oh, and she, yeah. See, he, he breaks a lot of rules here. Yeah. Um, and she says he didn't send me. And you uh, know he didn't send me. And and you're a liar. Andrew. And now she calls him out on being a liar. And she go, he goes, Cora. And who empowered these colonials to pass judgment on England's policies in her own possessions and to come and go without so much as a by your leave? They do not live their lives by your leave. They hack it out of the wilderness with their own two hands, burying their children along the way. You are defending him because you've become infatuated with him. And it's a great look from Dad. Who's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> infatuated with who now? And then she, to her credit, she could have easily gone back. We've seen fights like this on screen many times where it's like back and forth slicing to the pieces she takes a moment composes herself and then delivers a absolutely brutal tomahawk to his neck yeah with what she says next duncan you are a man with a few admirable qualities but taken as a whole i was wrong to have thought so highly of you not only am i not gonna be with you anymore I might not even be friends with you no more. You are certainly not who I thought you were. There's something about taking someone down with big, with articulate, well-formed words. Fantastic. That's just fun. Mm-hmm. And and Dad is kind of like, look, I'd like to help you out, but he's there's laws. He's yeah. guilty of sedition. He now he doesn't really care that much about the fact that the general made a promise to the settlers that they could leave. Mm-hmm. That's not bothering him. That we're not breaking that. That we're breaking that rule. But the other one's bothering him. And Cora goes to find Hawkeye at the jail cell. And it's interesting because this is in a weird way paralleled with the famous, the most famous scene in the movie, Under the Waterfall. Right. You know, because this scene, he's saying, look, you guys are going to surrender. And here's, don't stay with me. Don't try to help me. Right. This is what you have to do. Stay with your dad. That's the way you're going to stay safe. Right. And the only hope is that Webb's reinforcements are going to arrive. And if they don't, the fort's going to go down. Yep. And now we realize that the French have gotten their mortars into place and they open fire. Mortars are scary. Yeah, man. It always amazes because in my mind, like when I picture a mortar, I picture the modern tube that you see someone drop a shell into. But that's not a mortar at this time. Mm -hmm. These were just big, honking, powerful shells that had a very high arch and could go down into a fort like this and just do tremendous amounts of damage. Yeah. It's the next morning. Hawkeye tells Cora to remember what I told you. Stick with your dad. And now we go off to have a parley. Mm-hmm. 
and our French Marquis does the most elegant bow. <laughs> Apparently, according to Michael Mann, the bows of the French court were changing every year or two. Oh, wow. That they, this time you would you know hold your hat out. This time you do two circles with your hat. This time you would drop your hat first, then bring it up. And so they made sure that they had the exact right bow for 1757. Ah! <laughs> That's a lot of research. Oh, the French. Yeah. And I love the contrast with Monroe's just head dot drop. Yeah. You know? That shows a lot of character right in that moment. And we give each other compliments, and it's all very formal. And the Marquis basically says, let's not have any more people killed. I'm going to give you really good terms, which he does, Yeah, and says, your men aren't going to go in a jail cell. They can keep all their weapons. They just have to go home and promise never to fight us. Right. And the capper, and of course, Monroe's not going for it until they pull out the letter that he sent to Webb, which has been, or, or sorry, the letter that Webb sent to him saying, I ain't coming. Yeah. You should surrender. Yeah. Which is crushing to the British the, the or the English because they just go. I have lived to see something which I never expected. A British officer afraid to support another. And so what do they decide? They go, okay, we're going to surrender. Even though Duncan wants to go back behind the wall and bury graves and dig their own graves before yeah. they, you know. Right. Because Duncan's like, I can't, you know, because again, yeah. he has that rigid belief in English honor that is going to get shaken up throughout this whole thing. The hubris. Yeah. Um, it's later that night and our Colonel Marquis goes to talk to Magua, who is pissed off. Yes. How can you say that we haven't got any scalps? This is not what I came for. You know, I, we're, we're supposed to get some revenge. And this is by the way, where he tells the story of what happened to his wife. Yes. Yes. Um, and then the Marquis says a really interesting thing, which is he goes, look, I made a deal. I can't attack them. Right. Because it would, you know, soil the lily of France or whatever. Yeah, yeah soil the lily of France. But then he gives a little like, I can't attack. Right. Him. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then kind of walks out leaving Magua alone. Yeah. Um, and then Magua rides away. And now we have the English retreat. By the way, the way they did this was they had like 50 people who they trained in all of the different weapons. They had months of training to do this. Yeah. And sometimes they were the French and sometimes they were the British. And then they had the... It was a local Native American lacrosse team because lacrosse is a Native American mm. sport, and those they played both the you know the Huron or whatever other Native Americans you needed in crowds. They switched all these guys around, right? And the, the, there's this beautiful glade that they're walking into, and uh, with trees on either side. And again, you know, there's something beautiful about red coats against green. And the, this was shot in an area that was about two feet deep with water. And a lot of snakes. And these were water moccasins, which are really deadly. Yeah. So they had drained the water. And then they had like 15 guys who were snake spotters to make sure that no snakes came up and bit our actors while we filmed this attack. Wow. What's so weird to be is seeing like this glade with this water and going, oh, yeah, let's drain. Like, yeah. I guess this. But it is gorgeous. It's a beautiful location. It is. And out of nowhere, uh, a Huron comes in and attacks. And it's really shocking. <laughs> And Hawkeye, who is uh, tied up, kind of looks up at this, and Cora looks around, and the, the Redcoats aim off into the woods. And this is where I go, man, Monroe is not a very good military leader. No. Because he just kind of stands there, and he doesn't know, you know, there's not like, or he, he doesn't give any orders. There's right. no real reaction. The Huron are moving around quietly in the trees, and then Magua gives his big, you know, war cry. And again, it's still Monroe is just kind of yeah. sitting there. And I understand, like, you're in, uh, you're in, you have the low ground, you're surrounded, you can't see into the woods. Like, I understand this is a terrible position, but you would think that a well trained officer would have something that he yeah. would do at this moment. 
Um, and then in come uh, the Hurons, and they just start wiping them out. Uh, Alice and Cora dismount and move over to the side. We go right into hand-to-hand con- uh, combat. Hawkeye frees himself. The Redcoats are being slaughtered. Cora and Alice are running. And here comes Hawkeye running up, and he is just a badass. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the guys is coming after Alice. That's right. And Cora shoots him and pulls the gun out that she had been. That she, she had, had taken, right. Right. And shoots the dude in the head, completely kills him. Yeah. With no, with no fear and no shock and nothing. Yep. Um, Duncan does give some orders while retreating and then falls down. Yep. Um, and I love this moment. As much as I don't think he's a great officer in this scene, Monroe is on horseback and a dude jumps on the back of the horse. And I love he draws his musket and fires into the guy. Which is a pretty good moment, but that moment isn't going to last long because nope. here comes Magua. And he shoots, I think he shoots the horse. I think he shoots the horse, yeah. yeah. Horse goes down, uh, Monroe behind the horse, and Magua says, before you die, know that I will wipe out your children and you will know your seed has come to an end. And he pulls out his knife and we see he's doing something yeah. behind the horse. We see Monroe's leg moving and then out comes his heart. I don't know how long it takes to cut out a heart. It would seem it would take longer than that. Yeah, maybe. Um, but man, it is scary. It does feel interminable, though, when he's yeah. doing it. Uh, one of the Huron is coming after Alice, and Cora hits him, and Hawkeye is fighting his way there. The Huron has a knife to Cora's throat, and Hawkeye runs up and kills him, and then we have a, the embrace and the love theme. And we rush off to some canoes. Which we get into and uh, paddle off. Those canoes are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, they are. They are. So uh, M.C. Wyeth, the famous illustrator, illustrated like the turn of the century version of the Leather Stocking Tales. Uh And these designs for the canoes come from one of his paintings. Oh, wow. And in fact, there are a lot of paintings that uh, was used for Dante Spinotti and for Michael Mann as reference for costumes. And they did... For the the Huron costumes, the Mohican costumes, they used the same fabrics. They made the same dyes. Huh. I mean, the level of detail of trying to trying to do this right and honor this era. Which, by the way, how many movies have been made about this era? Yeah, it's a very. I mean, there are tons of movies about the American West, sure. tons of movies about the Revolutionary War, um, even about War of 1812, Civil War. Obviously, mid 1700s. Yeah, not many. Nope. And they really worked hard to do it right. And Duncan's in a canoe, and at first he's not trustful of Hawkeye, and then realizes, <laughs> "I think this guy's still saving my ass." But he's also, oh, when they're in the canoes, yeah, he also says, "When we get to English hands, I'm going to have you uh, uh, shot right. for sedition or hung for treason." Yeah, he says something like that. So he still doesn't let it go. Yeah, and the, Hawkeye says, "Head for the river," which they do, and they end up at a waterfall. And man, they go right off that first waterfall. Yep. It is scary. Yep. I've done some canoeing down rivers and i would never go off a waterfall like that um and then they come to bigger waterfall yeah and for a moment you're going like they're not going off that thing are they and they pull over to the side and they end up under the waterfall yeah and this is apparently there is this a real waterfall in new york outside new york city like this and the entrance to the waterfall where they're first going under the water is shot on location and then the interior is a set and i just think about man the amount of water they had to pour through this set it's thousands and thousands of gallons they had to figure out how to do. To get that sound right. 
Well, the sound isn't the sound isn't the problem. I'm saying I the mean, look and the sound. Yeah, the because uh, uh, the sound you just go to a waterfall with a tape recorder. Yeah, and you get the that's sound. good point. But the but the look of it and the other thing you can't record all the dialogue. Of course, has to be replaced because it's right. so loud. The other thing is, I think about a movie set on a soundstage with that much water running. There's going to be a smelly, mildewy, yeah, dank, <laughs> nasty set to work on. Good point. It, that was my guess. I don't know if that was the case. And we kind of hear what the plan is, which is, well, we hope they either think that we went and walked and they try to find us that way, or ideally they think we went over the falls. Right. Um, uh, and Duncan asks, well, if they don't, and Hawkeye says, you'll just have to forego the pleasure of having me, of hanging me, uh, which is a great line. Yeah. Um, their powder is all soaking wet, and Cora asks about dad. And he tells her, and what does she say? Don't tell Alice. Don't tell Alice. Yeah. Yeah. Protecting her sister all the Always. time. Yeah. He knows there's, she's more sensitive than her. And there's this interesting moment with Alice near the edge of the falls. And then who comes and saves her? Uncas. Or not saves. It's like, I don't know what's happening here, but clearly that connection with Uncas again and her about to fall. And that's obvious foreshadowing yeah. for where the movie's going to end up. It's also a real subtle uh, PTSD. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely! It's yeah. real subtle. Let's see. It's just there because the it's overwhelming her. What's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She doesn't know how to deal with what's, and it keeps getting closer and closer. Yeah, because here's the thing: we maybe Alice did see what happened to Dad. Yeah, we don't know. Right? Certainly, she knows Dad's not here, and the guys are coming to get her. Yeah, and also she has to know what being captured could mean for her. Right? I mean, it's you know. You're trapped in this waterfall waiting for the bad guys to come. It's not an unreasonable thing to think about just stepping off and ending it. True. And clearly that's a choice she's going to make later in the film. Um, the shots of Magua and the Hurons by torchlight coming in under the waterfall are amazing. Yep. Just beautiful. And there's a little, again, conversation in Mohican. And Cora, without understanding the language, says, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Because she knows. And this is the thing, is that if Hawkeye stays, there's going to be a fight. And if there's a fight, they're definitely all going to die. Yeah. The only way to keep them alive is for Hawkeye to go. That's the. Uh, is there any other movie that has this particular situation? It's so interesting, right? Uh, yeah. And the thing is, she he says, if they don't kill you. So he knows by leaving it doesn't guarantee oh no it just gives them a better possibility of staying alive for them yeah right well and he says i mean you know that's one it's the most famous quote in the movie yeah. stay alive if they don't kill you they'll take you north up to your own land submit to you here you're strong you survive you stay alive no matter what occurs what's he referring to what do you mean uh, submit, stay alive no matter what occurs. Right. So he's just saying to her, like, you, you may want to fight back. You may want to uh, attack them. Don't stay strong like what you did with me. Back up, but don't back down. But I think he's saying more than that. I'm think he's, I think he's basically saying, even if they rape you, oh, I mean, you know, submit, stay alive no matter what occurs. Mm. I mean, that's what I think. I think he's saying... <sighs> Any horrible thing can happen to you. I have you. to say, I've never thought that, but that's certainly possible. But you've seen the movie yep. a dozen times more than me, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. 
but that's the first like well what is that's he, a fair uh, assessment to make off that i mean that is a amazing thing to say stay alive no matter what occurs i will find you no matter how long it takes no matter how far i will find you and there's a look between them and the hurons are coming and then he steps into the falls and jumps The shots of Hawkeye, I mean, it's a stuntman, but mm-hmm. of falling in front of the falls is just absolutely gorgeous. Very poetic, man. The film has- It is, in- absolutely. Interesting poetic moments or dreamlike sequences. Well, it's not, a, it's not a dialogue no. film. It's, no. you know, I mean, honestly, you could watch it with the sound off and have a pretty good sense of what's going on. Hell yeah. You know, you it's very clear. And Duncan does try to protect them. He does. I think in his- the role that he perceives of himself as the British soldier hero, I think he's an honorable guy. Right. It's just when he's in these gray areas with Hawkeye and he Cora. just, yeah, or Cora, he doesn't know what to do. He does call him a coward. Yeah. In his frustration. And after we take out Duncan, Magua walks up to Cora and touches her hair. Yeah. Hawkeye is going downstream. Uh, Uncas and Hawkeye, Hawkeye pull Chingachgook up on the rocks and they head up into the wilderness. And now we have this sort of chase, and we have the Huron making tracks, and we have Hawkeye and his guys finding the tracks, finding broken branches, checking the footprints. Which Alice is doing, or I mean, Cora is doing. Yeah. It's like uh, in The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Did you see we just got another request to do Lord of the Rings? Did we? Yeah. Fine. I'll do it. Here's you, want, th- you might not like my commentary, but I'll do it. Here's the thing about doing it. It's 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 so big. It is big. Uh, because I'd want to do the extended cut. Oh, Jesus. And Four th- hours? Yeah, so that's 12 hours of film. We'd have to have Rachel back for that. There's oh, absolutely. no way Rachel won't no, do it. No, absolutely. But I don't know it's like, do we do, I mean, it's going to take us a month plus. Yeah, it's a big undertake. And, and, and by, there's all sorts of things that... I think there isn't anything in the film that isn't technically well made. Yeah, yeah. But those movies go on a long time. Oh, do they? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not up for it yet. At some point, maybe we'll do it. Um, we arrive at the Huron village, which again, they built for real. Mm-hmm. With using the traditional methods and traditional materials, and they built the whole village. Wow. There's nothing fake about this. And those guys from the lacrosse team, when they showed up on this set, apparently... There were a lot of tears. Wow. You know, because right. this is a world they never lived in. Right. This is the world of their, their ancestors. Heritage. Yeah, yeah, their yeah. heritage. Yeah. And in comes the old man whose name I don't have in front of me. Um, Shenyas or... Something like that. Yeah. And he's obviously the wise man in the village. And Magua comes in to report that the English are dead. And he kind of says, look, I, I'm a great war leader. And I've brought three prisoners uh, for you. Yeah, we can give the English officer to the French. We'll sell them to him, and we will burn Monroe's children in our fires, um, and all can share in these trophies of war. And off in the distance, who is watching? But Hawkeye. And what does he do? Walks right into camp. Yeah, by himself. I think this is a great moment. Yeah. And first, Sashem. Sashem is Sashem is the old man. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And first, uh, someone comes up and cuts him. Yeah. Keeps walking. Someone hits him with a tomahawk in the back of the head. He keeps walking. He's bleeding. Bleeding. Someone else tackles him. Keeps walking. An old lady comes out and yells at him for killing his kid, yep. probably. Yep. 
And he comes in and says, I come to you unarmed and in peace. To one stop your ears, Sachem. Let the children of the dead Colonel Monroe go free. Take fire out of the English anger over the murder of their helpless one. Now we get into the discussion, well, who's stronger, the French or the English? Clearly the French are stronger. And what took me a while to figure out is like, oh, they're actually speaking in French. Yeah. Um, and that Hawkeye doesn't speak French. And so he is being translated by Duncan, who is translating what's going on. What, what's really, as we're having this argument, and then uh, tell me his name again. Sashem. Sashem interrupts and says, the white men came out of the night and entered our future with him. Our council has asked the question since I was a boy. What are the Huron to do? Yeah. Apparently, Michael Mann, this came from Michael Mann's conversations with some of the uh, natives who kind of keep alive the history, that this question of what are the Huron to do? Yeah. Well, and this is, again, this is the movie that's more interesting to me than the love story. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just, you know, and it's, we haven't told these stories in film, and I, I, I don't know if, you, I read the... Um, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, mm-hmm. which is the history of Native Americans. Yeah. And it's one of those experiences where I knew the book was going to be bad and depressing. I knew some of the history. It is. It was so much more horrible and painful and so much more betrayal and so much more useless death and so much more callousness and so much more despair and, you know, the attempt to work with you know, the coming white man and then being betrayed and then saying we're going to fight and then getting wiped out and then going, okay, I guess we'll have to compromise and work with them and then being betrayed and the cycle repeating and repeating with the slaughter of innocence over and over and over again. I mean, it's just as, it's as awful as you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And so the plight of what are the Huron to do in this impossible situation is just a profound one. Yeah. Um, and, but Magua has the answer, which I find shocking what his, what his plan is, mm-hmm. which is that we're going to, out white the whites we're going to get stronger and we're going to be traders and we're going to get gold and we're going to get guns and machines and we're going to become powerful that way but it also follows in line with what he did with the mohawk well that's a great point right never thought about it that way he is he always assumes the characteristics of the more powerful to become more powerful and take the power back from them right so that he can become exactly right more powerful it's it's what he knows yeah so he couldn't propose any other way but what he knows. Well, what's what's interesting, and it's is, worked for him. What's interesting too is what, to some degree, the Europeans want is to civilize yeah. the natives and have them become traders and right. farmers and all the things just like us, but not too smart, so they keep, <laughs> still keep taking advantage of them. Sure, that's still going on. Yeah, but yes, go ahead. And 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 Hawkeye goes. Would the Huron make his Algonquin brothers foolish with brandy and steal his lands to sell them for gold to the white man? Would Huron have greed for more land than a man can use? Would Huron fool Senegrin to take in all the furs of all the animals of the forest for beads and strong whiskey? Those are the ways of the Yengeese and the Francais traders. Their masters in Europe infected with the sickness of greed. Magua's heart is twisted. He would make himself into what twisted him. See, and this is an interesting line. Yeah. This is a white man saying this in, what, 91, 92, 90? 90, 92 is the movie. 92, saying this in a feature film from a studio, essentially indicting, yes, the English and the French, but that's the heritage of this country, is the English and the French, I mean, on the white side. And so the, him is he's indicting 
his ancestors or, or the ancestors of this country. It's a very interesting, subtle jab at it all. Well, well, I, and I wouldn't say, I'd say not so subtle. Yeah, you maybe. know, because here we have a movie that's ostensibly a battle between the English and the French, but we're not really involved in that. Right. We, the Hawkeye, our main character, he doesn't like the English. Right. He doesn't like the French. He likes Chingachgook, his right. Mohican father. Those he is rejecting those values and going out to Kentucky. You know, he's saying, I'm not a, a subject of anybody. Yeah. I'm not a scout. I'm not a militia. Don't and, tread on me. Yeah. This is exactly what he's saying. <laughs> and he's and, the only American in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except except he's British. Except he's British, right? Yeah, or Irish. And now we get into this negotiation. And finally, our old man says, Look, we're gonna take get rid of the English guy, send the young girl back, and we're oh. gonna just burn. Right, we're gonna send the English back. Send the English guy back to the English. The so that, so, oh, to the English. Yeah, so right. that they so that their uh, flame burns br- burns lesser. Their anger burns lesser. But they're gonna kill Cora. They're gonna burn Cora, and Alice will become Magua's wife to heal the wounds of Magua losing his wife. Right. <sighs> and so no one wins here. No, no one. Um, well, Duncan's okay. Not, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's not gonna be happy leaving Cora to die. Uh, that was never going to work out. Oh, all right, fair. And but and, and I like this moment, which is that uh, Hawkeye goes, "Take me and said, I am not on Caribbean. My death is a great honor to the Huron. Take me." You tell him. And what does Duncan do? He he offers himself up, um, while inter- while uh, speaking in French, right? Uh, or interpreting uh, Hawkeye's words. Yeah. Right. He miss essentially purposely mistranslates yep purposely and 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 they go okay and they take duncan instead yeah so that is a redemptive character it is yeah it is i mean i just don't like the guy and duncan says get her out of here yeah but here's the deal hawkeye's a little selfish he doesn't fight it it takes core runs off yeah okay got it well he's a practical dude yes i mean he did jump out of the waterfall and left them all behind he did, knowing, he did. i mean like no one they could die he looks at this situation you're surrounded yeah i mean i don't know what else you want him to do yeah also this guy's getting his way a little bit Let's yeah, so be real clear. he's a little selfish in this moment but hey all's fair in love and war they run off into uh the forest there just outside the camp uh and we see the image of Duncan being raised in the fire, which is a great shot, and he's been painted on his face, which is probably yep. you know Some like, traditional, yeah, traditional mark by the Huron on on him, and he is screaming like it really burning. I mean, that must be horrible. I mean, I, I it's again amazing to me that humans do the did these things to people, yeah. um, and Hawkeye puts him out of his misery Hawkeye. with a rifle shot, exactly. Um, and we head up into these beautiful, beautiful rocks. Uh, which again, I think is in South Carolina. I forget the name mm-hmm. of the of the rocks at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had these beautiful rocks because Uncas has seen Alice being taken right. by Magua, so he wants to go save her. And right. he taps Chingachgook on the shoulder, mm. to kind of indicate I'm going. Right. Yeah. And he runs up off uh, uh, off them, and we come up on this cliff, and there is Uncas, and he just is going to take on. The whole Huron, the whole Huron party. <laughs> he does pretty well. At he does, first, yeah, he does. Until he comes up against Magua. Oh, man. And I think the, there's a little bit of battle, and then he gets cut, and then mm-hmm. sort of the dawning realization that he ain't going to win this fight mm-hmm. gets knocked down, gets cut again, and then makes eye contact with Alice, and it's like, oh, I'm going to die now. Yeah. And I'm going to look at you one more time. Yeah. And attacks again and gets killed by Magua. And then slides and then falls off those rocks. 
And then we see, and this is the moment that breaks me every it's with Alice. time. Uh, or no, with, no, Chingachgook's no, Chin reaction. Yeah. I cry every, I'm about to well up now even talking about it because that scream is the scream of a father losing his son in slow motion. Yeah. And it is heart shattering in the believability that Russell Means bl- brings to that moment. Yeah. The cry scream that is like, oh man, I was like I said, I'm, I'm getting emotional right now just talking about it because that's, you know, if you ever lose someone you really love in your life and your family, that's the scream. That's the scream. And it was just like, fuck. Well, it, it, so this is where I go. That's the movie I'm interested in. <laughs> like, I'm so interested in that relationship. And yeah, these, sure. That's what moves me. I'm with you. Yeah. And I wanted to know more about them and spend more time with them. I also find it interesting that the meaning of the title is Uncas death. Right. Because he is the last of the Mohicans. No, no. Chingachgook is the last of the Mohicans. No. Uncas is the last of the Mohicans. So in the book and in the, like, that's the whole, Chingachgook says, my son was the last of us. Oh. Yeah. Because he was the the line moving forward, right? Because it won't move forward anymore. That is the end. Okay, but it's not really focused on. No, because Chingachgook says at the end that he's the last. But I get what you're saying. The books. I thought he says is, that. I thought he says that. Uncas no, is the last. He says, "Tell them to wait uh, for one more warrior. He is on his way. Tell them to be patient. The last of us. I am coming. Tell mm-hmm. them to. Maybe you're right. Yeah, Maybe yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And uh, and then Alice turns towards the cliff. And this moment is beautifully filmed. It really is. And it's because you see all the thoughts on her face. And in slow motion, she turns. And at first, what's interesting is Mago's performance, too. Because at first, he's like, come on back. And then. In warrior mode. Yeah. And then there's this moment where he almost like becomes curious. Yes. Like, oh, what are you going to do? He lowers the knife. Yeah. And lifts his hand out instead. Now, here's the thing watching it this time, Steve. It never occurred to me before. Is this Magua. Finally, showing some vulnerability and maybe taking a step towards a new life mm. where he could let go of his bitterness, be with this, be with Alice, and somehow find a way back. Is it, or is it just his desire to have what he was promised? I don't know. But him, uh, Michael Mann, choosing to focus the camera on him, lowering the knife and lifting the hand is an interesting moment. Uh, it's obviously we can't know, right? But but like what? But the way the way it feels to me is sort of almost clinical. Yeah. Like I wonder what you will choose. Yeah, I'm not going to threaten you. You can come with me and be my woman. Yes, and I th- and he will treat her as his woman, yeah. which maybe not be the best thing in the world. But, true. But but like in his mind, mm-hmm. or you can die, and what it'll be very interesting to see what you do. And I actually think his respect for her goes up oh. because she jumps off the cliff. Interesting. You know, it's like oh, you do have some, you know, mm. some will, you know. Uh, but the handling of it is just Incredible. really really beautiful. Uh, who's the actress again? Jody. Uh, I don't her, have it in front her of me. Her turn. Yeah, in slow motion to stare at him before she turns back is just fantastic. There's so much going on in that face yeah. of hers, which if you're a, an actor, you know it's very difficult to do stuff without words. Yeah, on camera, Jody, Jody May. Yeah, mm. um, and Cora, of course, sees it happen. And here come Chingachgook and Hawkeye. Uh-huh. And Hawkeye shoots one guy. He reloads as he runs, which when Daniel Day-Lewis started this process, he didn't think such a thing was possible. <laughs> because you got to pull out the ramrod and put the powder in. you got to do like all these things. And right. to do it while running is really hard. But he practiced and practiced and practiced, learned how to do it. Uh, 
Chingachgook kills a guy. Hawkeye grabs another musket, fires two at once. I mean, this is pretty good action stuff. And then it's Chingachgook and Magua. Oh. Comes in with this role. Fight of the century, man. It's great. Well, it's funny, too. So when Russell Means gets hired, he's like 55. Yeah. He was not in shape. Of course not. And he, this is like four weeks of training. This uh, is what he... And he moves great. He does. The fight scene is really great. And Chingachgook, he wipes him out. Totally. Totally wipes him out. The, the greatest shot in a movie of great shots to me is the moment before the death and the tumor facing. And Magua is just leaning, he's leaning forward. In. Yeah. And it is so, I don't know why it's such a fascinating shot. It's a great shot. Bro. And the looks between them, and it is this moment why Michael Mann wanted to make the movie. Yeah. Which is the rebellious native and the one who is working, the the more kindly one whose you know, son is a white man. Mm -hmm. And what Michael Mann felt was that this is unresolvable. There is no resolution to this problem. Mm -hmm. What what should the Huron do? What should the Native American do? And in the end, they're killing each other. And no resolution comes from it. Yeah. And there's the spin, and he kills Magua, who falls into frame dead. It's a great... And again, this is where I go, that's the movie I want to see. <laughs> I'm just more... Into, and I know, I'm not... I, you know, I admire all the things I, I admire about the film. Mm -hmm. But I was like, man, the Chingachgook and Magua story and Uncas and, and, and Hawkeye, too. Yeah. It's a great character. Um and it's later, and Korra and Hawkeye embrace, and Hawkeye looks one last time at the Hurons and then moves away, and we're just a beautiful scenic shot, and this is what you were describing before with Shingachgook and Hawkeye, yeah. and they're saying their goodbye Yeah, uh, in a it's kind of a ceremony, and Korra looks on. Um, Respectfully. And you're totally right, by the way. He says, I, Chingachgook, the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got that other idea in my head. That's right. Um, and... Cora approaches and she kisses Hawkeye and we hear the love theme and the wind goes through their hair and it's a beautiful golden hour shot and it's a good final scenic sunset shot in a romantic movie out in the, the forests of America and we have reached the end of The Last of the Mohicans. It, it was a moderate hit. It was number. It made about seventy five million dollars, and it was the seventeenth highest grossing film of nineteen ninety two, which is not too bad for a film about the French Indian uh, War. I mean, it's not too absolutely. Bad. It won one Oscar, which was for best uh, sound. So oh, should have won. Some. No, 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 no nominations. Yeah. Other than that, that's really crazy. Insane. Yeah, and and it is interesting. Uh, you know, this is. One of the most has one of the most quoted moments in all of film that under the waterfall, I will find you. Stay alive, I will find you. Yeah. Um, and Daniel Day Lewis goes off to make nothing like this ever again. <laughs> um, I, I will give my final thoughts okay. first, which is because I don't love the film, actually. I, you know, and this is one where I go watch it for the cinematography 100%. Listen to this score. It is absolutely fantastic. Mm. I will stand by my statement. I, I, I challenge you to find a, a worse Daniel Day-Lewis performance. Wow. Well, when is he ever given a bad performance? He's never given a bad performance. So what is what performance in his career is worse than this one? And this performance is really, really good. It is. You know, like My Left Foot, Lincoln. You know, what are we going to... There Will Be Blood? You're looking it up now. Yeah, I'm going to look it up while you do your final thoughts. Um, uh, and Madeline Stowe is really good. The scenery is really good. I am so impressed with all of Michael Mann's research. But for me, it's just, I, you know what I'm doing is I'm doing exactly what I really try not to do as a teacher what and it? what I tell my students not to do, which is to look at someone's script or their film and say, 
if I were making your movie, this is what I would make. That's mm. generally not a good note to a screenwriter or a filmmaker because your job is to help, my job as a teacher is to help them to make the kind of movie they want to make. Right. In this case, I'm going, man, if I were making a movie about the French and Indian War, this isn't the movie I would make. Mm. I want to get more into Chingachgook and Uncas and Hawkeye and Magua, and I care much less about Korra and the romance. Okay. Those are my final thoughts. All right. All right. Have you looked through the list? Uh, I think I have. Are you finding a worse performance? There's two, actually. Okay. What are the two? Nine. I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And The Crucible. You know what? Okay. I'll go, I'll go with The Crucible. <laughs> it's not a particularly good movie. No. Um, I mean, it's a great, great I think play. that's the last time he... I think that was the last time he tried to go... To, to do a mainstream... Yeah, because Crucible, I mean, that's, that's Demi Moore. And, oh my God. Right? Isn't, yeah, right. Or no, no, that's Scarlet Letter. Uh, Crucible is Scarlet Letter's Winona Demi Ryder. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Winona Ryder. Yeah. She it is. It's John Winona Proctor. Ryder. I have no memory. I saw it. Right. I saw it when it came out. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. it either. I, I, okay. I will, I will see the point. <laughs> but you see looking at that list, you're like, well, that's a great performance. Yeah. That's a great performance. Sure, sure, you know? sure, sure. I agree. Um, here's what I'll say. This film is one of the most gorgeous films, one of the most romantic, poetic films that you'll ever watch. And to have it come out in the 90s when things were really uh, kind of uh, unsettled and bright and crazy and over the top in a lot of ways, um, it was such a nice change of pace. And also, this film is almost like The Last of the Mohicans as a film because this kind of film is becoming rarer and rarer in theaters, rarer and rarer releases from studios, adult mature fare yeah. about adult characters in adult situations, period piece or not. It's still a very – these are starting to become rarer and rarer. And it makes me uh, love the film even more as a precious jewel, uh, an artifact of a time – and those were what pop. This is what populated the cinema. Um, the performances here are incredible to me. The it's an emotionally pow- charged film and a powerful film, and it has something to say more than just the romance uh, and more than just the war scenes. It has something underneath that it's kind of showcasing you, and it's such a positive representation of Native Americans in a situation in this yeah. uh, in this world that they create. There are good and bad, just as there are good and bad in every race or every uh, ethnicity or heritage. They showcase it here, but you get to understand both sides of it and uh, enjoy some great performances in a lot of respect to Michael Mann for putting Russell Means and Wes Studi in this movie. They, I think they both steal the they film. They steal the film. Uh, but that romance, to me, I know it doesn't work for Steve. For me, it's what brings me back I'm every clearly time. the exception. Well, it's works, okay. I mean, you know. For oh, me, it's, it's, it's okay that oh, I'm the exception. Okay, fine. But I'm just saying. For most people, it works. For me, yes. And it, it's what brings me back to it over and over again because they have such a very powerful romance in this movie. Um, and yeah, and that's what I would say. It's it's one that, once again, as I said before, if you haven't watched it in a while, give it a watch and get lost in it again. And you'll find something new, just like I did watching it for this podcast, a couple of new things as I was watching the movie. So, so that's what we think of The Last of the Mohicans. Please tell us what you think by a visit to our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. If you want to buy The Last of the Mohicans or stream it from Amazon Prime, do so at cinephiles.net. That's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S.net. You, could, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, a whole bunch of other places. Leave your comments on YouTube. Leave your reviews on iTunes. If you want to support the show or pick a movie like uh, we did for this one, go to patreon.com slash thecinephiles. 
emails. And uh, as you, if you want to reach me, you can do so on Twitter at SR Morris, on Instagram at SR Morris One. John, where can you reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And that is it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.